21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. They revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. Now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out of, on land, they saw a charcoal fire in the place, in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lamb. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and Walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that was going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now these 
Now there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank thee, Lord, for this opportunity to gather in thy house on this thy Sabbath day, Lord. We thank thee for this word that thou hast given to, unto us. We now open this word and we hear a portion of the word, your perfect word. Lord, we ask that thou be with Pastor Bob to explain this to us, that we may live our lives that are pleasing to thee. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. 28 years ago, in a small little brick church, with a gathering of probably somewhere around 20 to 25 people, the Lord was pleased to allow me to begin service here at Little Farms Chapel. Commencing then on the 29th year of ministry here, I sort of reflect a little bit upon Jesus' words, when you are old, someone's going to dress you. Well, I haven't quite got that far, far yet, but who knows, the next fall may result in broken ribs, and then I will need that as well. And yet, there is something so beautiful in this passage that the Lord comes to Peter with, and that reminder of the responsibility of the church of Jesus Christ. Come and eat breakfast. Come and eat breakfast. Three things from this passage this morning. First of all, the fact that he reveals himself again to the disciples. Secondly, he provides for them. And thirdly, he conducts business. First, he reveals himself again. This is a different time. The last two times that uh, or the times of revelation to the disciples uh, in a large group has been in the evening or at night. Now it is early morning. That's a first. Jesus, in a sense, is dispelling thoughts that he can only appear at night or there is something mystic about the night that is not true of the morning or that Jesus can only... Uh, show his resurrected self in the evening. No, this is a reminder to the disciples of the fact that he and his resurrection spans the course of time. Secondly, in this revelation, it is a different location. We are not in Jerusalem, nor are we near Jerusalem. We are nowhere close to Jerusalem. We are told here that we are at the Sea of Tiberias, or otherwise perhaps better known as the Sea of Galilee. And you might ask the question, well, what are the disciples doing there? Why are they there? Why did they go there? And the answer to that is, Jesus told them to. On the day of the resurrection, he had told the women, go to my disciples and tell them, Go to Galilee, there they will see me. But if you've been with this series, you'll know, well, wait a minute. Eight days later, they're still somewhere in Jerusalem because eight days later, Jesus appears to them again and they're in Jerusalem. Why didn't they go? 
because you don't travel during the feast. And remember, we are in the midst of not only the feast of Passover, but there is as well the feast of unleavened bread that follows the feast of Passover. The disciples stay in Jerusalem until the feast of unleavened bread is over. They understand Jesus' words to mean such. Leave, go to Galilee, when you are finished observing this feast. Move on. There you will see me. You will note that there is nothing in any one of the scripture passage. There is nothing in any one of the gospels. There is nothing in Jesus' words to the disciples here that would in any way indicate he's wondering why they're there and not in Jerusalem. This is where they were told to go. This location has been chosen specifically by Jesus. There is a reason he wants his disciples in the last chapter of the book of John to be at the Sea of Galilee. So we have a different time, we have a different location, and we have a different means. The two previous times that Jesus has appeared to the disciples as a group was in an enclosed room. Here, he's on the seashore. But here as well, it is accompanied by a miracle. If you go back to the other two occurrences, the one on the evening of the day of resurrection and then the one eight days later, there really are no miracles. Jesus isn't doing a, a miraculous act. Here, there are several that occur. So the, 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 he's revealing himself again, but if we think about the time, the place, and we think about the, the means by which this is happening, this appears to be not just a repeat, not just, okay, I'm doing this for the third time now. Guys, do you get it? But there seems to be more behind that which Jesus is doing. Secondly, I want you to note that Jesus, upon this occasion, provides for them. He gave them full net. Well, think about this with me for a moment, if you would, please. This has happened one other time. You may have read this and, or listened to me read it and go, deja vu. Didn't this happen before? Yes, it did. Do you know when it happened? The very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Guess where they were at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry? They're at the Sea of Galilee. His ministry with these disciples, with this group, begins with the very same miracle. In fact, uh, Dr. James Montgomery Boyce looks at the Gospel of John and says... Chapter 21 and chapter 1 of John are bookends. 
Chapter 21 is the end bookend, holding up, supporting, demonstrating the post-resurrection Christ. Is the one who is the Lord and King. John chapter 1, where we'll be this evening, by the way, demonstrates to us the pre-incarnate Christ as the one who rules and reigns. Here are the bookends. Christ before his incarnation, Christ after the resurrection. Everything written before between here, John says in John chapter 20, is written so that you may believe and that believing you might have life in his name. What then is the significance of the full next? Well, if we go back to the first occasion, which is found, uh, the full text of the store account is found in Luke chapter 5. We have the same thing. Peter's out fishing. They're not catching anything. Jesus says, put the... Ned on the other side of the boat. Okay, they haul in the fish. Peter comes in. Wow, you must be the Lord. Not necessarily acknowledging him as the Christ. Jesus makes a statement to him. And his statement to Jesus or to Peter at that time is, Peter, you're pretty good at catching fish. But from now on, you're going to catch men. Jesus gives to us the picture of the fact that this idea of fishing, as it's going to now be carried out, is the idea of evangelism, the idea of going out, and that the fish are people. Peter, from now on, you're going to become a fisher of men. It's the way the, the gospels open. Here, at the close, what's happening? What are Peter and these other disciples doing? I'm going fishing. We'll go with you. And what do they do? They get in their boat, and there is nothing. This isn't what they were supposed to be doing. I will make you fishers of men. What are Peter and these men doing? Fishers of fish. But there is a second thing at work. As we think about this whole thing in terms of, of evangelism, it's the picture of Peter Nathaniel, John, James, going out on their own to catch fish. There is a picture here in which, which Jesus is teaching and illustrating the fact that if we are to go out in evangelism on our own, we will come up as empty as the disciples' net, even though they struggled all night long. There's a note of frustration in these disciples. Hey, have you caught anything? No. 
Jesus says, cast the net on the other side of the boat. Now these guys are not ignorant fishermen. They know their business. They know how to fish. I would imagine there are a few of you here, one I can think of in particular, who is pretty accomplished fisherman. Knows his stuff. Knows the, the weight uh, that needs to be at the end. Knows the type of line. Knows the type of pole. Supposing that this person is out fishing. He's not having very good success that day. Maybe the steelhead aren't hitting or the brown trout aren't hitting off the pier that day. Ooh, we've just narrowed it down, haven't we? Okay. And here comes the guy who can't catch a fish in a goldfish bowl. That's me. Hey, I got an idea. How about if you do this? Now, how do you think an expert fisherman would respond to my suggestion as to what he ought to do to catch fish? Hey, maybe you ought to just take your pole and move it three feet. Can you imagine the icy glare? Huh? I can't. That's, in essence, what this man on the shore... See, they don't know it's Jesus. That's, in essence, what this man on the shore is telling them to do. I know you guys are experts. You don't know me at all. But just pick up your nets, which was no easy task. That involved a lot of work itself, getting the nets in and then getting them over to the other side. There's a lot of work. They've been at this all night. Really? Just on the other side of the boat? Yes. Just on the other side of the boat. Part of what amazes me about this passage is they do it. For whatever reason, they follow the command. They do what they are told to do. And what happens? The nets become full. Now, how does that happen? Did Jesus, with some sort of super eyes, look into the water and see, hey, you guys are only about three foot off from this big school of fish. If you just move the nets, that's where the big school of fish is. No. Jesus drew the fish to the net. And Jesus drew exactly the fish that were to be caught to their nets. He filled their nets. What an amazing passage in terms of the miracle. But when we think of it in terms of evangelism, think of what is going on. 
We're going to go out there on our own. We're going to do our thing. We're going to follow our plan. We know all about it. You just pay the money, send somebody out in the field, and thousands of people come to the Lord. That's the key. We just need enough people out there. We just need the right program. We just need the right pop. We just need the right line to grab hold of them. And, and then they'll all just come flocking to the Lord. I'm going fishing. Doing it on my terms. Doing it my way. Here's the solution. This is it. Jesus is going, we're going to have empty nets. Need to follow my command. What a silly command it really was, wasn't it? Actually, we might say it's a foolish command. How foolish to move your nets three or four feet and think you're going to catch fish. How foolish of us to think that through preaching, people would come to know the Lord. But that's his command. Preach the word. How shall they hear, Paul says, without a preacher? This is the means that Christ appoints. Go. Preach the word. And their nets were full. They followed the command of Jesus. They didn't go get more people to help. They didn't go buy new boats and new nets. They simply did what Jesus told them to do. And the nets were full to the point of breaking. 153 of them were told. So why do you suppose it is that scripture tells us the number? Why, why are we told that? Why doesn't scripture just say a lot of fish? Because scripture wants to point out to us. Jesus is pointing out to us. That they come one by one. One large fish. Two large fish. Three large fish. Four large fish. You also notice we're not told what the fish were. Because you see those who come to Christ. Those who Christ draws to himself. Are all types of fish, all types of men come. But he knows the exact number that is to come. He knows those who are his. He calls them by name. Fish one, fish two, fish three. He knows them. He is teaching the disciples that full nets come by obedience to his command and not their own human efforts. Secondly, 
he gave them breakfast. Come, have breakfast. Now note that the breakfast that is prepared is fish and bread. No small little detail. Of course, they're Jews. It's not going to be bacon and eggs. But it's fish and bread. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus, on two previous occasions with these disciples, had fish and bread as well. And he took them and he broke them and he gave them to the people and they were fed. I believe if I read it accurately, that what is designated here is that there was one loaf and one fish. Yet he fed them all. What happened? The same thing. As he multiplied the bread and fish for the 5,000, as he multiplied the bread and fish for the 4,000, so he multiplies the fish for the seven. The complete, the whole, the total. Bookends. But notice the invite. Come. Come and see, Jesus had said in John chapter 1 and 39 when asked, Lord, where do you stay? Come and see. Jesus had said on another occasion, come and rest. Come and rest. Come, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and you will find rest. But this one is... Sort of odd, isn't it? Come, have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. Oh, not with the fish you just caught. With the fish that are already on the fire and prepared. Fish that I supply, bread that I supply. The nourishment, the stability, the staples of life. I give you what you need. And you will eat and be supplied in full. Come and have breakfast. Now one thing I've learned over the years is that when somebody generally, I won't say it's a hundred percent of the time, but generally when come, somebody calls or somebody says after church, Pastor can we have breakfast sometime this week? I generally have learned that that probably means we're going to do some sort of business. Something's on the plate. Nobody ever says, let's go out for supper and you conduct business. That rarely happens. But breakfast seems to be the time when a lot of people gather to do business. Plan out the day, whatever. Hey, meet me at 6 o'clock before work. We'll get the business done. Come and have breakfast is a reminder to us that Jesus has some business to do with these disciples. It's not just the meal. There's something else. There's some reason that, that they've been called here. Some reason they have been brought here. Some reason that Jesus is revealing himself to there. Not just to give them some fish and bread, 
the physical nutrition they need. He wants to feed them spiritually. He's already taught them with the nets. He's fed them physically. Now it's a spiritual thing. I want you to know three things that take place. One is Jesus conducts business that morning. One, there is the restoration of Peter. We need to take care of that. Peter, in essence, you denied me three times. I'm going to ask you three times. Peter, do you love me? And after each one, Peter is given a responsibility. But it's not just Peter's responsibility. What Jesus is addressing here is twofold. One, those who I restore, I give responsibility to. Those who come have duties. Those who I save are to live out that salvation. So notice what Jesus is doing here. One, he's, he's restoring Peter. He's bringing Peter back in, this wandering sheep who has, who has for, for a time period, has left the fold, who has wandered off, who has denied Christ. Jesus comes back, Peter. Come on, let's have breakfast. Then after breakfast, Peter, we got some things to deal with. Peter, do you love me? Oh, yes, Lord. Peter is restored. Secondly, there is the responsibility of the church. Feed lambs, take care of the sheep, feed the sheep. This becomes the church's responsibility. Later he's going to tell them to go. Go into all the world. But the church can never forget its responsibility to care for the sheep that are already within its fold. We are not, we are not to somehow bypass the sheep that Christ is, our, oh, they're in, they're in the kingdom, that's okay. Oh, we don't have to bother with them anymore. All we have to do is concern ourselves with the fish out there in the sh sea. Three times, Jesus states to Peter, your responsibility, take care of sheep. What sheep? The sheep that are in the fold. The sheep that are in the pen. The sheep that Christ has called and knows by name. Those are the church's responsibility. And not just sheep, but lambs. The lambs need to be cared for. As best as lambs, as best as sheep can be cared for. Let me ask you the question. Did Jesus do the best possible job he could as a shepherd? 
Or did Jesus just eek by? You know the answer to that, don't you? So what should be the church's responsibility? Just eek by? Just do the minimum? Just do as little as possible? What about our own responsibility as believers? What, what about ourselves? Just as little as possible? Just the minimum? Just get by? Or are we to follow the example of the great shepherd of the sheep? Take care of my sheep and my lambs. Well, he's going to give them more responsibilities, but not here. Not here. Not at this breakfast meeting. At this breakfast meeting, Jesus wants to make sure that these men, who we meet in John chapter 1, who he's called to be his disciples, understand what it means to be a disciple. To be a disciple means that you disciple others. That's our responsibility. Thirdly, Jesus needs to deal with some relevant information. The, the end of the book almost ends, it, well, it does end strangely, doesn't it? It ends with Peter asking about John. Okay, Jesus, you told me about me that I'm going to get old and they're going to carry me around. But what about John? Isn't that always the case with us as Christians? Okay, Lord, that's me. But what about, but what about, but what about? What an unprofitable comparison we learn from Jesus. What is that to you? Peter, what, what is it, what is it to you? What? I do with John. The question is not what that that that's not what you need to know, Peter. That's that's not your responsibility. I'm reminded of a text uh, of Paul in the New Testament that, that people are not busy, they have become busy bodies involving themselves in everybody's life for the purpose of comparison. Because I want to show how much better I am. I want to show how much better I am. So I, I compare. I always find the person who is worse than I. And I say, see? 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 Lord, what about him? What's that to you, Peter? See, folks, if you walk out of here and you're thinking of somebody else other than yourself, if I walk out of here this morning thinking of somebody else other than Bob Van Manen and my responsibility, we have missed the point. And Jesus says to you, what should that matter to you? You 
follow me. You follow me. You do that which I command you to do. You follow me. Peter, I gave you a responsibility. I might. I might, Peter, want to say to you, get to work. Peter, I might want to say to you, get fishing. Peter, follow me. That's the challenge that God's word gives to us today. Come. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And God's people say, Amen.